So today I am talking to the wonderful Richard, who was one of our contributors on the second series of DNA Family Secrets. And whenever I talk to people about season two, yours is one of the standout stories for them and how you wanted to find out who your biological father was. And we have a little story because you ended up being on the program because you first contacted me after series one, didn't you, of DNA Family Secrets? And we just heard it been recommissioned. So I suggested you apply and the rest is history, as they say. So talk me through that a little bit, because there's a story there. There is. There's always a story. My uncle used to say to me, it doesn't matter what happens as long as you get a story out of it, whether it's good or bad, but this turned out to be really good. So it was a midweek in the middle of lockdown. My wife came and watched the first series and it was Bill's story. And she said, come and watch this. And it's not something I'd normally watch, but it really kind of hit home. And I thought, okay, why wouldn't I do this? Which isn't normally how I'd think. My mum had passed away about 12 months, 18 months earlier. And all avenues of me ever finding out an answer to my biological dad was were gone, as far as I was concerned. And then this kind of came up. And there was a book I read years ago, and it's by Danny Wallace called The Yes Man. And it's about saying yes to things. You know, if someone said to him, will you donate, he'd have to donate. And he'd have to do all this mad, crazy stuff. But at the back of it, you've got an Edinburgh show and a wife and all these things. So not as often as I'd like to, but I try and take that philosophy sometimes and jump into things that are scary, which this was. So I thought, right, I'm going to try and find out who you are. And I wrote to you at Leicester University and said, I've just seen this show. I don't know who my dad is. I've never found that out. Is there anything you can do to help? And that was it fired off their email and never thought I'd heard anything. And fair dues to you, within a couple of hours, you got back to me and said, okay, this is how I'd take the next step. So yeah, for you answering that email, it's your fault that we're <laughs> here now. And it's also Bill's fault for having such an amazing story. And it's Kim's fault for making me watch it. So all these things came together. And yeah, now we're here having a chat. So for those who haven't seen the programme, what was your question when you first came? So my question was, I didn't know where it was from. On my father's side, I knew everything about my mum's side and I'd kind of been brought up by my nan and granddad. So I knew everything about that. But I knew nothing, just a blank page on that side. I think that's how I described it. And I came into this and I think the question was, I don't know who my biological father was, was on the programme. In my mind, that wasn't what I was trying to answer. I wanted to know where I was from. I've got a big nose. So my wife was always kind of saying, well, where's that come from? I don't think it's that big. But that was the question of who's my biological father, but that wasn't the answer I was expecting. So what was it like growing up? I, I was an only child who lived with my nan and granddad and probably drove them mad. They brought me up and my nan was born in 1900. So when I was born, she was 69. And, you know, my mum lived with them. But although I was an only child, I used to spend all my time with my cousins who grew up in pubs. So I spent a lot of time with them. They were all older than me, but they kind of brought me up and they were brilliant. So... I owe a lot to them and also my aunties. But I had loads of other cousins and friends and things. I was never in the house. I was always out playing football, out on my bike. There was times I used to kind of think I'd love to have a brother or a sister to play with because everyone else did. There was no one else in school. There was no one else in the streets who was an only child. But I didn't miss out on anything. You know, I went on holidays. My auntie had a caravan. I didn't want for anything. This is not a poor me story. You know, it's really not. I did really well. Playing football, loads of holidays, loads of laughs, loads of great stories. Yeah, it was good. It sounds like you had a lovely childhood, but I suppose there's always this thing about who's your father. So when did that kind of start to become a thing for you? I think as you get to kind of 
I think seven, eight, I think as you're starting to move out of junior school, they don't know what it's called these days, you start to realise parents' evenings, things like that, that certainly in Liverpool, in a Catholic school, there wasn't many divorces. It just, you know, stay and be unhappy. Don't try and get divorced. You know, you've got to have all this type of family together. And it was a tough time in Liverpool in the late 70s, early 80s. There was a lot of unemployment, a lot of people struggling, but mums and dads were always kind of there. And I did notice, okay, well, I haven't got this. And I remember there was one time that my granddad wanted to come and watch me play football. And because he was so much older and he's in his 70s, I didn't want him to come. And that's horrible. I hate little me for that. All he wanted to do was see me play football, but I was, no, I don't want you on the line because you're older. So I did kind of start to get into it when I was about eight or nine that I was aware that I didn't have a dad. I probably wasn't brave enough until a few years later to actually raise it with me mum because she could be quite volatile now and again over this type of stuff. So I probably wasn't brave enough until, you know, I started senior school, high school to kind of raise it with me mum. So I was aware of it, but not brave enough to find anything out. So what was it like when you asked your mum? I think she ignored it the first time. I think she just probably wouldn't have said any, just ignored me. It was weird because, you know, my nan and granddad are, are really open people, but even they kind of didn't raise it because it left 70s in Liverpool, you know, there wasn't many. And I get there was a bit of embarrassment or whatever, but over time it became an ongoing thing. And then it got to the point of the stories used to change every time I asked. And there was different things that happened as we got through into older years that just kind of ruined the relationship with my mum over time over this. We got on, you know, I used to come and see my mum all the time. But it was always there. And whenever it came up, we would probably fall out over it, to be honest, for a bit. So that must be really frustrating not knowing and you've been left, you know, without some sort of answer. There was an incident whereby I went to get my birth certificate, probably about 19 at this point. So I went to the records office in Liverpool and I asked the lady, said, could you tell me before I buy this, has this got a father's name on birth certificate? And she said, I shouldn't tell you, but yes, it does. So I'm like, I'm going to find out if my dad is here. This is the day I'm going to find out if my dad is I can remember that really clearly as we're talking about it. And I get it, and it's a made-up name on the birth certificate, one that can't be true because mum wasn't married, and it had the same surname as me. So by that point, I'm now raging. I'm so angry because not only have I don't know who my dad is, I've got a false birth certificate now. So that did bring everything to a head then and it did become quite a volatile conversation then whenever it happened but again my mum would just dismiss it and make up this story about somebody else that was just not true I think she painted herself into a corner she was stubborn but she also had beliefs and principles and she probably thought for whatever mental reason she was doing the right thing and I get when you were younger but when I'm still asking at 20 30 40 and you've got grandkids who are asking who are grown up to not tell them I just don't understand it and it did affect the relationship with my mum. So when you came to the program I know kind of the question was you know who is my biological father but I know your main question was really like I just want to know where I'm from. Yeah. I honestly thought if I find out which part of the world I'm from that'll do me. Maybe that's a bit of a cop out because then you don't have all the other stuff that comes with it. But that's the story I told myself that I was happy with, and I would have been happy with that. Mm. And if you just stopped the conversation and said, you're from Ireland, you're more Irish than you are English, 
Thanks very much. Nice to meet you. And I'd have gone yeah. off and I'd have been made up. I'd have honestly been made up with that. But I mean, and that was a really easy bit. And you touched on something really important there, because telling somebody what their ancestry is on a particular side of the family is actually something that's really, really straightforward, just because the databases are so huge. But we are at the mercy of the databases and who's already mm. tested and how closely they match you and then being able to build the family trees. So sometimes we aren't able to give people answers and wrap things up in a nice little bow. And I think that's actually a really important part of this program is that we're very honest about that. But we got some really lovely matches for your DNA and from that able to build family trees. So I remember this because I remember being able to tell you, look, this is your ancestry. This is a really easy bit. And then my next bit is, so are you ready for more information? What's going through your head? I'm scared now. I'm scared now. I've only watched it once. I get a preview before it goes live just to make sure that there's nothing in there that we're not happy with it, which was brilliant to see. That was great. And then when it went live that day, I thought, I can't watch this. And I'll explain why. Because me and you are in the room, and obviously there's a film crew there, but as far as I'm concerned, it's just me and you, and we're chatting like we are now. Mm. And we've done the bit around you saying that, and I'm thinking, this is brilliant, great. And then you say to me, we found more, are you ready? And even now, it's hard because I know that everything that I've been told for 50 years is about to change in that moment. And to have that, both as an opportunity, but to know that something is about to be given to you where it's all about to change was just overwhelming. And I think I look out the window for a good couple of minutes before I can even speak. And even now it's it's hard mm-hmm. because I couldn't speak because you've got this stuff for me. And I know I must have gave off waves of emotion because you were kind of pushing the tissues towards me. But that's why I've not watched it because I know how scared I am. I think that's the word. I'll use it. I'm scared because yeah. I don't know what's coming. It's hard to describe. Anyone who's going through this type of stuff or has some answer questions will hopefully understand where I'm coming from. But if you're not being through it, it's really hard to explain. Boy, I just know that I was, I couldn't speak before you even told me the answers. I couldn't speak because I knew you were going to tell me something that was just about to change everything. And I wasn't scared of what the answers are, it's just that it was an answer. It's life changing. And the biggest life changing bit for me is the fact I don't have to think about it anymore. When you're lying awake at night, you're thinking, I wonder who my dad is, or why did my mum not tell me this? And I don't do that no more. And that's just fantastic. And I used to think about it all the time. (sighs) You know, wonder what's going on. Why has that happened? I don't think about that anymore. And that's amazing. That is so great to have that nonsense out your head. (sighs) It's like a weight gets lifted. It's really good. So obviously what I was able to do was to tell you who your grandparents were. Mm -hmm. And then from that could work out that your biological father must have been one of three brothers. Mm. And we were really lucky because one of the sons of one of those three brothers was more than happy to take a DNA test. He was absolutely wonderful and took a DNA test and that allowed us to pin down who your biological father was. And you've alluded to this here. Your expectations are lowered because you don't know what you're going to get. And then we're able to tell you who your biological father is and that they're alive So I knew, like, telling you this, I could see this was huge. So you leave me, and I know you're going to go off and see Stacey, but what happened next? So the first bit is we leave that room, 
and my wife Kim is outside and she's like, what have you found out? And I think I say to her, everything. And she goes, what do you mean? And I show her the piece of paper that you've drawn. And I went, grandparents, father, brothers and sisters, I found everything out. I'm shaking at this point, I think. And I don't know what's going on anymore. This is all like too much. So then we go into the room with Stacey and I just think we're doing a bit of a wrap up here. And then she gets the envelope out and starts showing me pictures. So they become real then. They're real people. And then I get an actual email from somebody who's related to me, who I didn't know about. It's astounding from a Saturday morning to go to Leicester and that then to be the outcome. And it was just a lot to take in. But then, and I will be honest, I left and sat in the car and went, I can't just leave now. That can't be it. That can't be it now that I've done that and I leave. What happens next? And I thought I need to speak to the help and support that I've got from the programme and navigate my way through this in the best way because I don't want to mess this up and I want to do it in the right way because if I go in all guns blazing going, ta-da, here I am, that could all go wrong. So I don't know how to be a brother. I don't know if I am a brother. I don't know what this is. So it was then me overthinking things probably, but also trying to take a step back from everything that's gone on and thinking, right, what do we do next? And that's where the support that you have at the background is just amazing because they help you go through all of this stuff. Social workers, psychologists, the production team. And you're totally right. How do you deal with this? How do you form a, do you form a relationship? How does that work? The email, I read that over and over again and tried to read between the lines, do you want to meet me? I think he says it's a shock, but a really nice shock. So the next steps where there's an amazing lady who, I think you have people who specialise in different parts of the world. And I had a lady called Siobhan and we had lots of really good chats. And she kind of filled me in on some of the background to Irish families and what this could mean and what was going on. And she acted as an intermediary between us. She's our social worker and she's amazing. She is amazing. I think we found out at Christmas time that they had seen all the details and the science that goes behind it. And also what's conclusive is the pictures because we all look alike and accepted that, hey, here I am. And they knew nothing about me. So I think one of the things I wasn't prepared for when I went into this, that at the other end, there's another outcome here for these people And I've turned their lives upside down, for better or for worse. And I didn't think about that. I'll be completely honest. I hadn't thought about that because back to my point is I never thought this was going to be the outcome. So I didn't think about that. And then you start to worry. I hope the timelines worked and that I was the oldest and didn't exist before all these. You start to get into all of that and think, oh, no, I've got all kinds of problems here. Turns out none of that was a real problem. It all happened long before they'd arrived and stuff like that. So I didn't know any of this till kind of Christmas time that they were then wanted to meet me. And that was fantastic. But we didn't actually meet until three months later. Obviously, there was a lot for them to navigate through and they were trying to process it in their own way. But I understand it completely. Not only have they found out, hello, I exist. So for me, daddy's found out he's got a son he knew nothing about. There's a new brother, half-brother, Richard, 
Oh, and by the way, it's going to be broadcast on TV. They must have been, what is going on here? Because I would. I don't know, what, what do you mean? Okay, that's enough to take, but it's going to be on the BBC with Stacey Dooley. And I completely understand why you'd want to take your time and get through this. So yeah, it was a mad six months after we met. And you're absolutely right. It's one of the things that we are completely aware of is that we don't know how the other side of this, where are they in their lives? And how is this going to impact them? So obviously, it's about protecting their privacy, as well as having you being able to make contact. And we always say to people, take it slowly, because it allows people to digest the news, I think, and process it, really. So clearly that happened and they met you. What's happened (laughs) since? So we eventually got in touch by Siobhan and they said they wanted to meet me. So my dad was ready to meet me and I'd accepted everything and remembered where he'd met my mum. And it was all the timeline all worked out long before anyone else arrived. So I went from being an only child to the oldest of five, if you like. Kim was desperate to come with me. I was saying, no, I just need to do this by myself. I'd been advised to do it by myself, so they weren't overwhelmed. It's quite a difficult one of, well, how did you meet my mum? That's a question you can't really ask time and time again to a guy who's in the 70s. That's a tough one. So I needed to be able to ask these questions. And I think for them, they might have been wary of me. You know, I I just pitch up and, hello, I'm your new half-brother, son. But I think it went well. There was pictures brought along, which was nice, and I was given them. And we went through all the families. It turns out my daughter and one of my half-brother's daughters have got the same name. And there was just a lot of that type of thing going on. And it was nice. It was a good chat. And then within a couple of weeks, I met my half-sister who was over from overseas and half-brother. I met them. And the one person I hadn't met was the person who'd done the DNA test who I'll be forever grateful for, and he knows that. So I managed to get his contact details, got in touch with him and said, I know we haven't met, and I want to say thank you because I've been brought up that way. So will you meet me? And he said, yeah, absolutely, come on. And I went to his house, knocked on the door. It was like looking at me, and he opened the door and he said, hello, brother, and gave me the massive hug in the world. Yeah, the bugger made me cry. Amazing. Amazing. So at this point, I'm an emotional wreck. I'm just on the floor. That was where we got to before the programs come out. Yeah. So we'd all met. So the program comes out. Mm. How does it go? Did you watch it? I didn't want to. I didn't want to watch it because of how impactful it is for me. And I didn't want to see myself go through that again because it's a hard watch for me. You know, I think I've made people cry. I know the outcome. I know the story. I'm really pleased that it's on there for both my grandson and granddaughter to be able to watch as they get older. And they'll have have that. And it's a good story, isn't it? It's a good story with a nice outcome. But yeah, it was hard for me to watch. Kim's watched it a few times. We've got a picture in the other room of me, Kim and Eddie the dog on a beach taken from one of the stills of the programme. And I see that every day because it's um, it's just the beach and it's the sun coming in and it's just us three. I didn't think I was going to get emotional. And where are you now with your family? It's going really well, I think. 
my, I don't know what I'd call her, my dad's wife, who I thought would probably be the one who would be the most suspicious, who'd have the most reason to not get involved in this, has been really supportive and has been, you know, really, I think was one of the driving forces. You've got to go and meet this guy. You need to go and see him. It's not fair on him. Um, you need to go and see him because he needs to see you guys and things like that. And I'll be forever grateful for her for that because she could have easily gone, whoa, you're not coming in and disrupting my family. And she didn't. She welcomed me with open arms. And Kim, she's amazing for doing that, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure how many people would have done that. So one of the things about when people come to the programme is that you feel like there's a, been a big hole in their life and it's been really quite encompassing and then we're able to give them answers when that's solved does that in itself leave a gap then the not knowing bit is a gap that i'm quite happy never to have filled that's been pushed away i don't worry about it anymore that's done and dusted i miss the program though and i miss the people around it and i miss the fact that it was such a positive outcome you know that's a bit euphoric that however scary it was and however worried I was in that room with me and you, the joy that came out of that at the end, you know, I think anyone would miss that because you don't get many feelings like that in your life, do you? So I think that's the thing that probably left a little bit of a gap for a bit because you've lived it for so long. Even the process of the filming and things like that, when everyone left and, you know, they clear all the stuff away, you think, oh, well, that's the end of that. But it's not because we're here today. We're having a chat again today and it'll always be there if anyone ever wants to see it. So, yeah, it doesn't end. Richard, it's been so lovely to see you again. I always warn people when they're going to watch the programme that they're going to need tissues. And as I suspected, you made me cry again. But thank you so much for chatting to me.